Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. This is this might be might be the Ryder Cup preview. I'm not positive we're going to have another one, but uh, we promised you another Ryder Cup stock report with our European Tour correspondent Job Fickett. Uh, we are late in getting to it. The teams are formed, but he's here. He's arrived. Mr. Fickett, how are you? I'm doing so well. Let's make this the definitive Ryder Cup. We're going to try. Um, we're excited. Uh, it's, we let a couple days go by here after the finalization of the captain's picks for a couple scheduling reasons, but uh, we've still plenty got plenty of time before this thing kicks off here in a couple weeks in France. Uh, now that the teams are finalized, uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not gonna lie, but don't tune out just yet, European fans. Uh, before we get going, um, don't fast forward through this part because you're gonna want to hear it. Um, for uh, the Ryder Cup or for this week on the podcast, Callaway is going to give away a rogue driver, and here is how you can earn one. Reply to the tweet of this podcast. So when this podcast goes up, I'm going to tweet it out. You have to reply to that tweet. If you don't reply to that one, you're eliminated. I'm not going to filter or save any of the other ones. So reply to the tweet with a prediction of something that's going to happen at the Ryder Cup. It can be anything, but the best prediction that comes true is going to win a Callaway Rogue driver. I mean, it can be, you can be, Bryson stabs a guy with a trident, and if he does that, that's probably going to win. Like, if Reed comes in on a parachute to the first tee, like, that's probably going to win. So make a good, bold prediction, and whatever the most true prediction is, you are going to win a Callaway Rogue Driver, and we'll give it away after the Ryder Cup. How's that sound, Job? That sounds pretty awesome. I would like to think that uh, maybe if... You know, Tron's favorite Spencer Levine was on the Ryder Cup team that he would smoke more cigarettes than the rest of Paris combined. That would be a good prediction. That would be hard to prove, but that would be that would fit the mold of a bold prediction. Um, To be clear here, we are the final say as to what the best prediction is. It's probably going to be the funniest one or the most outrageous one, but we reserve total judgment into choosing what the best prediction that turns out to be true actually is. We had fun with the haikus. Thanks to everybody that sent in haikus for the uh, to win the chrome soft, the Truvis balls. That was a lot of fun filtering through those. A lot, a lot of Turncoat Tron references, which I think you coined, if I remember right. I would like to take credit for that one. Yes, okay. thank you. <laughs> well, I think too. Uh, I think I, I I threw a heart on one of the first Turncoat Tron references, and it jumped to the top of the replies. And then everyone started throwing in Turncoat Tron. And Let's keep it going. I mean, he is a horrible, horrible traitor, and he's not here to defend himself. So we're just going to talk shit about him the whole time. We might have to have him on after the Ryder Cup. He texted me and said he was going to be here today, and then he left for Atlanta. So I don't know. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's out. Welcome to my life. But uh, all right. Um, first of all, so you let's, we're going to go into European stuff first. But let, right now, let's look at the odds. Um, I forget what they were last time you were on. It was closer than what it currently is. But... After the formation of these two teams, the U.S. is now minus 160 to win or retain the cup, and Europe is plus 140. Seem fair? I think those are, yeah, that's probably pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, it, those numbers kind of seem like the U.S. is favored more than they are. I mean, that's, that's, 
plus 140 teams win in football all the time. Like it's not, it's not, I'm already tired of Europeans saying this was going to be like the greatest. uh, We're going to, you guys think you're going to blow us out. We're going to, it's going to be close. Like it should be close. Oh yeah. We'll talk about this at the end. uh, What our official, you know, know nothing predictions are, but I think that there's probably already some uh, home field advantage baked into those odds. I would have to assume without a doubt because of the history. I mean, we we're not, you know, blind to the fact that it's, not been fun to play in Europe for the United States for the better part of a quarter century. So, um, and you know, the Vegas odds makers know that and they'll bake it in. And so I think that, uh, you shouldn't adjust your, uh, anticipated pick one way or another, uh, Without yeah. having considered that, I'd like to. Ha- it would be kind of cool to have an odd, an actual odds maker on to see how much they weigh in the the location of it. And it's not even just the location; it's also the style of the golf course. So, sure, a lot of people in talking about doing these captains picks were saying Finau shouldn't be on the team. It's not a driver related golf course, etc. Well, we're going to kind of get into the U.S. picks here and whatnot. But uh, so you wrote some stuff back uh, back in March, I think it was the first time you took a look at the European Tour Ryder Cup, the locks and all that stuff how did that go for you i did pretty well and i'm gonna pat myself on the you back you deserve for it. it uh i mean it might not have been too many stretches to say that uh you know obviously well i mean at the time putting sergio and stenson on the team did seem like a no-brainer even though kind of at the end it was a question mark as to whether they would actually be on the team but the only one so i posted my original the locks column on march 17th of this year, and I had Rose, Garcia, McElroy, Stenson, Fitzpatrick, which is the one I did not hit on, uh, and then I also had Hatton, Rom, and Fleetwood. And of so of, the, of those, the only one that I didn't hit was Fitzpatrick. And to be fair, he was you know kind of struggling a little bit at the time, but he had such a a big advantage in points that he really needed to play as poorly as he did this summer not to make the team purely on points and uh and then you know Torborn Olsen kind of snuck in in the last two or three months of the season but um so I felt pretty good about that good job covering your ass there thank you um I but I I don't that is that is actually a a good job the first time that I I think I tried to pick the Ryder Cup team and said like these guys are on it I hit like less than 50% of it when I was about six months out. So it is a tough task. I have, uh, I just want to use that point to, to, to kind of bang on people using the word lock. And it was frustrating for me too. And to the, bang on yourself using the word lock. Well, uh, all right. All right. Let's <laughs> leading up to this people were, you know, I'm, I'm asking around for information who the picks are going to be. And people are using this word lock. Like you talk to two different people that are in the know and would, would know the answers to these. Like, Oh, that guy's a lock. And one of those guys that was named didn't end up making the team. We just need to understand what the phrase lock means. Like quite literally, now we are locked in. Tiger and Phil were locks. Like they are you there's nothing they could have done over the past couple of weeks to have not made the team. I don't know. That's just a rant. Just, yeah, I feel it's the same way with Poulter. And even though there were maybe some questions around his form leading up to Houston where he won, I mean, even though that was early in the season back in April. For all intents and purposes, he was a lock ever yeah. since yeah. he won that tournament. I mean, anytime you have him in any sort of form in a Ryder Cup year, he's going to make the team until he you know, proves otherwise that he shouldn't be on the team. Well, let's kick this off. I want to ask you a question. It's a broad question, and you can kind of take it wherever you want to. But Ryder Cup records, people's players' past records in Ryder Cups, how much do you weigh that into their reasoning for being on the team or where you'd line them up, who you'd send them out with? How much does that matter to you? To me, not a whole lot. I I tweeted that I thought that experience was a little bit overrated. I think 
you know, admittedly recency bias with Peters, but it kind of proves that, that you don't necessarily have to have a lot of experience. He went out and lost his first match and then won the next four. Um, but I think to the captains, it matters a lot. And, and, For some and, reason. and Bjorn, well, and Bjorn, you know, in fairness, kind of went weirdly chalk without actually picking the chalk picks. I mean, he picked guys that are household names for golf fans, Stenson and Garcia and Poulter. Um, and Poulter, his form was obviously uh, really quite good this year. Uh, Garcia still hasn't played well and hasn't played well since March. And I think it's probably fair to say that Bjorn told him, uh, even maybe before the Wyndham Championship in Greensboro, that he was going to be on the team. He didn't need to go to Den to the Maiden in Denmark or to the uh, uh the tournament in Czech Republic European masters. Yes. The European masters. To, or no, that's sweet. That's Switzerland, but yes. Yeah. He didn't need to go uh, the, uh, to either of those tournaments to prove right. his desire to be on the team. I think Bjorn probably told him, Hey, go to Texas, take two weeks off, you know, try to find something on the range. And it showed because he looked pretty disinterested in Greensboro, but he was on the team nonetheless um, with, despite not even making the, the FedEx cup playoffs. So um, I think Which is it, nutty by the way, like you got a captain's pick, he missed the playoffs. And we're not talking about like uh, we're talking about a PJ tour member, like it plays the tour regularly. And right. I think he didn't make as many starts maybe as he normally makes in a year, but not making the playoffs is Crazy. The, Ser- the Sergio mob on Twitter wanted to harp on the fact that he finished, uh, I think, fourth or T4 or whatever in the match play event. And he played well. He finished in the top 10 on this golf course at the uh, at the French Open. But his his lone win this year was an Asian Tour event in Singapore back in January. And frankly, that's really been about the best uh, he struck the ball in, in the calendar year. Uh, I, th- I can understand why... With so many rookies, Bjorn felt the need to put some veteran leadership on the team. And if that's your justification for for putting him and Stenson on the team, that's fine. Uh, Stenson's got some potential lingering elbow injury issues. Who knows uh, how what kind of form he's going to be in. But I, I can understand the, the desire to have that kind of leadership and, and that kind of experience on the team. I just personally don't think it matters that much. I would have. We could rewind this podcast 730-ish days and be like, I can understand why Darren Clark is taking Lee Westwood and Martin Keimer. They've got six rookies. They need the veteran. Exactly blah, blah, right. blah. Uh, I didn't look this stat up for the European side, but on the American side, the rookies, all rookies, captain's picks, and just rookies that have made it on points, in the since the 2008 Ryder Cup, their record, which again, there's a reason why I don't go back to 2006, uh, their record uh, was 20, 10, and 5. That's the pretty rookies. good. I think you'd yeah, take that. Yeah, that'll work. I mean, <laughs> it helps that like uh, Keegan came out just absolutely blazing fire with Phil and then Reed and Spieth, all of their points in 2014, all count double and all that. But <laughs> the, the point that you made there just now about the, the you know, Reed and Spieth are even more so with Phil and Keegan. And I think that we're going to talk about this more when we get into the American pairings. But having the veteran mentor that's playing well, bringing along the guy. So I think, you know, where... Uh, Darren Clark put Peters out with Westwood and they got smoked in the first match, but then he put him with Rory, um, a guy that had obviously great form, but also had the experience, even though they're similar in age to Thomas Peters, but was able to shepherd him through that kind of feed off the same energy, take some pressure off, of take him. some pressure off of him. Um, and you know, we all know what happens thereafter. Yeah, no, I, and, and then my point to asking that question is I think, you know, people will look at Tiger's record, Phil's record and for players of those caliber, you would expect them to have better records overall in Ryder Cup. I just think like 
if it's pretty close, it doesn't weigh a ton in my mind, right? I mean, Phil's Phil's Ryder Cup record is 18-20-7, and seven, but he's also gone 7-3-1 and one in the last three cups. As he's basically kind of been responsible for helping reshape this whole process. Um, and Tiger's got a losing Ryder Cup record, too. He's 13-17-3. I just don't put a ton of stock in that until it's on the extremes of something. Like, Jim Furyk's Ryder Cup record is very bad, and it's well worse than both of those guys. That has nothing to do with his captaincy. I have total faith in Furyk, actually. Uh, but like Poulter's Ryder Cup record, 12-4-2, that means something. I'm, I'm sorry. That, Absolutely. So it has to kind of be an extreme to really either you know ride with a guy for it or to slam a guy for it. And like Bubba, 3-8, and eight, that's not good, bud. No, that's not. Not good. But Reed, I don't have Reed's in front of me. I think it's like 6-1-2 and two or something like that. Yeah, that means something. Like That is some serious production on a, on a repetitive basis. So in that regard, Poulter's pick makes a ton of sense. I was surprised to see that Stenson's career record is just seven seven and two in the Ryder Cup. I felt like he's been a kind of a killer. Maybe- yeah, and but he earlier in his career he wasn't on a lot of Ryder Cup teams, and it's kind of, so it feels maybe again the recency bias sure. issue. Like maybe he's played. Can we go back to one point about Peters and and to a lesser extent Rafa Cabrera Bayo? And I want to shout out Shane Ryan for the best tweet turned article about the Euro captain's pick so far which is that there were three guys at Hazeltine on the European team that had a winning record and two of them are not on this team even though two of them were in much better form Rafa Cabrera-Bello and Thomas Peters than arguably Stenson really even potentially Casey and definitely Garcia and uh, t- those two guys got got left home and that might turn around and kind of end up biting Bjorn in the ass I very well could. I, I think it might. Disclaimer for everything that's said previously to this point and after this. Like, once the balls go in the air, truly nothing matters. And I think this whole, like, I don't know, kind of people bagging on Phil for the way he's played going to this. I'm kind of like, man, I got nothing really to support this. But, like, when it's time to play, I'm fine with him. And kind of same with speed. Like, I have a, a good feeling about I don't know. I just don't necessarily You're mean. You're a big believer in fate? I am a big believer in fate. <laughs> The same way, I mean, I think it's important to get guys that are riding huge hot streaks like Bryson and Finau. Like, there is no guarantee that that's going to last through the next three weeks. There's also no guarantee that Sergio didn't go down there, bang, you know, 3,000 range balls and find something. And oh now he's going to go to Paris and flip a switch, and we're all going to look really stupid. So glad you said 3,000 range balls. I was like, all right, I'm not sure where we're going with this bang take, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that theory. Uh, no comment. <laughs> Sliding on. Um, <laughs> And now, okay, so moving on to kind of just rankings and just the whole conversation around the finalization of the picks, I just I want people to know, and this this is not directly at Jamie Kennedy of the European Tour, but like, guys, the your the World Golf Rankings are designed to get people into events to measure the, your production over several years, two years. And to be a measurement of how you get into events, it's not a power ranking. They so are a sham. They are kind of a sham. And like Sergio is ranked in the top 30 in the world still, and he hasn't made a cut in the U.S. since the ma- – he made one cut in the U.S. since the Masters. Like it's very sticky. Past events weigh for a ton. Wins weigh for an absolute ton. And when it comes to the Ryder Cup, and I had this conversation so many times on Twitter, and I think it was actually after our that we had the podcast. I don't think I really addressed this on the podcast, but – People are bagging on Finau for not having won a tournament this past season. And Bubba's won three tournaments. You'd rather have Finau than Bubba? Yeah, Yeah. I would. There's a difference between showing up for... uh, And let me again clarify that. Like, 
Bubba's season versus Finau's season for the sake of being a professional golfer and earning money and recognition and what you play for on the PGA Tour, I would much rather be a hit or miss guy. A miss cut. I'd rather miss five cuts and win a tournament than finish you know, T10 and six straight events. Like That's just how the combination your, works. Your feasts are going to outweigh your famines every exactly. single time. But beating... 155 guys beating an entire field versus like Finau who has beat 154 guys and lost to one in a week. Like I'm going to want the guy that does that more frequently than the flash in the pan. The guy that is not going to consistently grind out somewhat average rounds into solid finishes. That's the whole point you want to like Kucher in any normal year for him would have been a very solid pick for this team. And honestly, I probably would have made the case for him. I feel like it's kind of funny to bag on Kucher for, you know, backdoor top tens and all that, but the dude is super consistent. And if you talk to some of like the European players, they'll say they'll say something like, "You know what? I would actually rather prefer play someone like Brooks Kepka than play a Matt Kuchar because he's never out of a hole. He's way more consistent. And you know what you're going to get out That's of a good him." Good point. And uh, so yeah, that I don't know. There's this whole balance of and just this whole. I don't know. I've had an internal f- philosophical struggle the last couple of weeks over winning and how everyone just Xander won two two events last year. He should be on the team. I'm like, man, Tony's just outplayed him. Like strokes gained and like the Sagarin rankings and anything that looks at any kind of trend will tell some tell you who has played really good golf. Not just picking the best finishes. Like why? Well, right. What does the best finish mean? Does, uh, there's no guarantee that best finish is going to show up and in France and all that. You should be way more considerate of, and again, this is kind of pointless because it just goes to the conversation around captain's picks. The captains themselves know this, know this kind of thing. And I mean, it's just, yeah, winning is not necessarily everything when it comes to forming a Ryder cup team, especially when the players have so much input and you don't think for a second that, you know, they are not looking at these leaderboards week in and week out and seeing Tony Fina on the first page of the leaderboard almost every single week. I mean, for the guys that are, that have the the ear of Captain Furyk, I'm sure Tiger, Phil, you know, Reed, these guys are like, uh, you know, Finau is really, really good. He's out here whooping our ass, whooping our ass on a regular basis. And and Furyk's, you know, Furyk's gonna listen to those guys, and he, he I'm sure he took that into account. Furyk's a smart guy, and you know, I, I, we've bagged on Furyk in the past for his Ryder Cup performance, and. I just don't – go back and listen to that podcast from when we had him on last November. I know I just tweeted the link to it last week. We, I was going back looking for some insight for anything he would have said or some hints as to who that last pick would have been. He doesn't really give a lot of that. I guess it doesn't really matter now and the team's formed. But he is a great storyteller, an insightful guy, like kind of in, in looks inward at his lack of success personally in the Ryder Cup. And I think that's built him – this is kind of his – I don't want to say destiny, but this is huge for him for being a part of so many losing teams and feeling responsible for a lot of that. I think he wants nothing more than to lead this team to a win. Slightly off topic, but is Furyk right now a Hall of Fame guy? I yeah, mean, you yeah, think yeah. so? Yeah, he's got a major in like eighteen tour wins. That's okay. like a lot. So, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So um, there's yeah. that word again. Yeah, <laughs> but I was going to say if he's not, I mean, and even and even if he is, for his legacy's purposes, you know, when they have the the bust go into the Hall of Fame, you would love to have winning Ryder Cup captain oh, yeah. on your on your uh, on your resume. Yeah, dude. If I'm and if I'm a U.S. the future U.S. captain, I'm like kind of nudging for some of those home ones. Like those are so much harder to win or so much easier to win. Um, and I just, I, I hope he gets it. The guy, the guy deserves it. And I think, I don't know, he, he, 
people kind of I felt like wanted to lump him in with kind of Tom Watson school of thought and like thinking he would go for an old like the Grizzly veterans and you know that Kucher would get the pick and whatnot, which I think was a maybe only part of the reason why anyone was yeah, talking about. Kuchar. But I think the guardrails are in place now. I think that there's yeah. there's no way we're going back to that. At least not with the current you know rolling six year kind of upcoming captains that are that have been a part of the quote unquote task force, but that now understand kind of the European playbook for so many years, mm-hmm. which was we're going to have a system in place. We're going to find guys that actually like each other and like playing with each other. And we're going to pair guys based on who complements each other's game. And then we're just going to let them go have fun. And it's turned out to be a winning formula, at least in the first go round. Yeah. I think they are very fortunate with how things played out. I think if, if Bryson doesn't win the Northern Trust and if Kucher makes it to the BMW, I think there's still a chance they would have gone with Kucher there and then kind of said, let's play out for this last spot between a myriad of guys. So it worked out well. I still would love to see them get rid of that final, that uh, that 12th pick. Either I got to make all four picks at the same time, I think. I mean, in a dream world, I think they should go six automatic qualifiers, six captain's picks. I don't think we're anywhere close to that happening, but... Uh, they got the right guys. There's going to be no second guessing for me on the team that they put together. Uh, I would probably sub Bubba off the team if I could. I think he's not played very good golf, and Patrick Cantlay would slide in very nicely to this style of course and this format, I think. That won't necessarily be popular to anyone that disc that looks at those three wins this year, and I, I know that's not going to be a popular take, but um, that's really probably the only change I make to the team, which is pretty remarkable. 11 out of 12 guys, this very armchair dude with a microphone thinks they got right so you're welcome Webb simpson we let you slide under the radar on this no one. okay i was gonna save this one for later <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say something opposite of what you might expect i'm good on web i'm right. good he he's played i mean he's he played well this past week too he could take away his players win and i think i would still want him on the team he has played really solid golf this year the stats back that up in every measure and he gets a like, I, I'm the, the biggest perpetrator on this gets a really bad rep for skying the opening tee shot at Glen Eagles and getting set on the bench until until his singles match but he's got and he played pretty well in 2012 he didn't play great in his singles match against Poulter um, and lost that one near the end but uh, he had some success at that one and he's had such a good year that he he's earned it I'm I'm fine if you can't I don't know I, I'm not gonna indict him on I can't say Look at previous Ryder Cups as kind of a, a wash and then not support he's, Webb. He's always been the kind of consistent ball striker that you want on these teams, but the uh, the putting, and it's kind of weird now to see the guys that were most affected by the anchor band now are coming around and figuring out a different way to putt. Um, Keegan Bradley and Webb Simpson being exhibit A and B, whereas you know kind of Adam Scott's kind of gone the other direction, but... Um, yeah, I mean, his, his putting this year has been fantastic, and there's no better attribute to have than being a clutch putter uh, in the Ryder Cup. See, for example, Ian Poulter for all the highlights of, of for all time. Mm-hmm. So back to the rankings thing. If, we're, if we are going to look at a world golf ranking, European average rank, 18.5. USA, 11.75. Again, this is, not even close. this is a system that favors the Europeans, but moving on. Uh, <laughs> listen, no Ryder Cup has ever been decided based on world ranking. Uh, if we're going to look at the Sagarin rankings, which, again, we've mentioned in the past, but these are Golf Week Sagarin rankings that are basically, if you are looking for power rankings, looking for who's playing the best golf, this is, as far as I know, the best option out there. Um, it looks at who you're playing against, how often you're playing against them, how often you're beating them, how often you're losing against top 10 players, top 50 players, top 100 players, etc. 
Uh, the European average for that is 26.4, and the USA is 12. So that favors this, this shifted a lot with the captain's picks and how they That's filled true. out the end of this team. However, in Bjorn's defense, there weren't a lot of guys really knocking down the door. That's, That's why Furyk is so not so lucky. Like he has a stable of young Americans to pick from, but like you were kind of waiting for a couple guys to just beat down the door and insist that they be picked, and he got two guys that did that. Like he didn't have a very difficult job at all. I didn't envy Bjorn's Bjorn's task and. To be honest, like this is it's gonna be easy to second guess, but I can't sit here and say like Rafa Cabrera Bayo should have been on this team over Sergio. Rafa played well down the stretch, but he didn't beat down the door like Bryson or Finau did. They, there's no glaring omission on the European side. Is that fair to say? I think Don't I, say Matt Wallace. No, I'm not gonna say Matt Wallace. <laughs> I mean, kudos to Matt Wallace for playing as well as he did and for handling it with incredible uh grace and class. But I think maybe the only player you could look at is well Peters. I mean Peters is the guy where you know he's he's one of those kind of a lot like Bubba in that he's you know really really good or kind of falls off the face of the earth and when he falls off the face of the earth um, his temper I mean people talk about Rom's temper but Peters is a psychopath <laughs> and I mean that in the most adoring way possible. But when you look at you know him kind of rounding into form a little bit the last 2 months and just generally he kind of has that killer instinct that you want in a Ryder cup. And it wouldn't have been taking an inexperienced player. He's got Ryder cup experience. He's got good Ryder cup experience. And he's arguably got better Ryder cup experience than Paul Casey, who hasn't been on a team, hasn't even been eligible to be on a team for, you know, a decade. And I think if I want, you know, personality wise, maybe I would rather have the killer instinct of a guy like Peters over the more genteel Paul Casey, um, nonetheless, I think, you know, generally the picks, like I said, they're chalky without being going straight down the list chalk. They're the guys that you would expect to see on the team. Um, they've earned it, you know, probably based on their, on their careers and kind of based on the clout that they can bring into the team room. Um, but yeah, overall, I think maybe, you know, Rafa Cabrera Bayo probably needed to win at the, uh, Deutsche Bank or the Northern, what? Yeah, whatever the Boston tournament, I don't remember what it's called. Dell Technologies, yeah, whatever corporate sponsor. (laughs) Um, Rafa Cabrera-Bayo needed to win in Boston probably to make the team. And, uh, you know, if Peters had actually won an event, he probably would have gotten on the team, frankly. Uh, And which, for the record, I think I agree. But for the record, I think that would have been a a poor way to, to fill the last spot. Having it be a tryout and be dependent on that result. I agree. But just still this kind of archaic way of both how both teams would have treated that. It's hard to ignore a win. And from, <laughs> as amazing as it is, people were still like trying to make the case in the broadcast of all. I, I get oh, that. Donnie, oh God, are we going it, into the Keegan? It's a golf channel. I mean, I get the golf channel is going to have the Ryder Cup, and you know they're calling but it was the Bones. End. Why is Bones got to throw it was all Bones? His, yeah, Bones oh, is Bones. like throwing all his credibility. Oh, oh that hurts, man. He's he, oh, my man. Come on, Bones. <laughs> But again, it's a manufactured drama. The same way PJ Tour this week is tweeting, the player of the year is still up for grabs. It's, oh my God. Yeah, sure. Shut up. <laughs> um, it's the same. It's just manufactured drama. And you'll at least kind of pull in the fan that hasn't been paying close enough attention and think, oh, well, Keegan's great in the Ryder Cup. And he's got. No, no, he is like 186th in strokes gained putting on the season. And yeah, listen, congratulations to the guy for coming back and winning. I'm I'm not a huge Keegan guy. I think that's been pretty well documented on this on this podcast. But he was never in the running for a Ryder no. Cup spot. Like, it, you have any idea the fury that would have come from this 
end of the table if they would have bypassed an entire week's worth, entire season's worth of results. We, we might have had to sub Solly out on this podcast. And we listen, might have had to put somebody else. Keegan's in there. had a good year too. It's not like it was the flash and the sure. complete fluke. Listen, but um, but now yeah, he was never in the running for that final spot. Uh, let's go through some numbers. What do you say on the captain's picks, real quick? So Stenson. Uh, Poulter, Casey, and Garcia are ranked 16th, 38th, 15th, and 77th in the Sagarin rankings. Uh, again, that's Garcia, who's ranked 77th. And then World Golf Rankings, Stenson 23rd, Poulter 34th, Casey 19th, Sergio 29, which, again, I put no weight in that. All of, Sergio's 20, uh, all of Sergio's points are from the 2017 Masters. Do you, ha- do you happen to have uh, Torbjorn Olsen's numbers up there? I do. Tjorbjorn Olsen is the 44th ranked player in the world, and he's ranked 65th in the Sagarin rankings. So that's kind of, he's the most interesting, and he kind of threw a wrench in the whole captain's picks, kind of the way it shook down, because uh, there probably would have been a lot of pressure on Bjorn maybe to not pick him in order to make it you know not look like there was some sort of danish favoritism there i don't know if that's really a thing i could be completely making that up he definitely made a strong push to get on the team towards the end of the year and had he not snuck into the 8th spot um it would have been even more of a difficult decision for bjorn to try to have to you know consider cuz then he would have had to have left off one of you know stenson garcia or Casey, most likely. I mean, he kind of took Poulter's spot, Fitzpatrick's spot. They were kind of um, swapping back and forth there at the end. Yeah, if I'm if I'm being honest, I think that the European team got a bit let down by their point system in this regard. And listen, Olsen could come out, go 3-0 and after saying this and whatnot. However, it's pretty clear, looking at any kind of statistical analysis, any numbers, that Olsen's just not the class of player that plays in the Ryder Cup. He's the guy that sticks out when you look at all 24 players as like, okay, you're the lowest ranked in the world rankings, Sagarin rankings, except for Sergio, and like any strokes gain measure or anything like that. Olsen's just the kind of guy that, and listen, he may play one team match and one singles match. If he gets a point out of that, if he goes, you know, 50, uh, 500, like that's, that's a fine 12th man to have on your team. But, and, and kind of. I would have made the same point about the 12th man in the, as badly as I want to feed out to get that 12th pick. It's probably not going to come down to the twelfth man. Either way, like it's the U.S. might lose by six, or might lose by four. It's probably not going to come down to the results of the twelfth man. But it's the, really fun to get upset about the, about the final picks, anyway. Definitely. Um, yeah, Stenson had a great spring, but hasn't finished better than and then T twenty in any PGA Tour event since the U.S. Open, and that's his only finish in the top twenty five. He's twenty fifth in strokes gained on the year. Poulter's 36th in strokes gained, Casey 31st, and Garcia 47th. Again, I know these are European tour players playing on the PGA Tour, and a lot of them split time, but that's their that's 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 an, that's an average result. Right. The four U.S. captains picks. Are you ready? No. Fifth in strokes gained, Tiger Woods. Twelfth in strokes gained, Phil Mickelson. Fourth in strokes gained, Bryson DeChambeau. Ninth in strokes gained, Tony Finau. So their worst guy is 12th, and the Europeans' best guy is 25th that they added to the team. That's why the odds moved. Like the, right. the U.S. just added better players than Europe did. That's That, again, is not a guarantee that that's how it's going to play out. But on an overall basis, the U.S. got stronger over the last month, and the European team did not. Yeah, and for the same reason that we always say, you know, it doesn't matter once the balls go in the air. 
but these are you have to have something to base your picks off of and whether it be some any combination of statistical analysis and personality types whatever the case may be when you look at these sorts of things i mean these averages like you said they, they don't just come into existence it's not like we're just pulling them out there they're the result of the great play that we've seen over the entire course of the season i mean there's really if you're going to rely on something you want it to be the consistency that's shown and the best way to look at that is through the stats. And, you know, obviously it's not played on paper, but it, you have to start somewhere and strokes gains probably as good a stat to start as it's the as best data other. available. And again, right. it's, if I'm, if I'm forming a team, I would want guys that are ranked better in that stat than the team that's not. But again, it's no, none of that's guaranteed. I think we've qualified that plenty enough. Are we worried about Paul Casey's withdrawal at all from the BMW champion? He withdrew in the final round. It was a full rain delay Sunday and he withdrew on the Monday. I have known no details that since then, but are we concerned about that at all? Am I concerned about Paul Casey being on the team generally? Yes. Hmm. Um, I mean, he's. It's it's probably fair to, uh, or it probably wouldn't be fair to criticize a guy if he's injured. I mean, Paul Casey's not a guy that historically has been injured a whole lot. He's actually, you know, probably one of the more consistently uh, active players on tour. Um, I, I don't know that it's necessary. I'd be more concerned about Stenson's elbow than Paul Casey, um, just because the elbow has been a continually been an issue over the course of really the whole summer and into the fall. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't, I'm, I'm just trying to pull up where he was on the FedEx cup actually. Cause there's very good. I mean, we're talking about one more rain soaked round. He might have already left town probably. Oh no, he made it. All right. So he was locked into the tour championship. He's, he's 26 in the FedEx cup. I mean, I'm assuming he's playing next week. I haven't heard any news on that, but I, it may have just been kind of a, a I don't need to stay here for this round kind of thing, which right. is kind of crazy. But when you have as much money as Paul Casey and, and, no, and no cut, like, you know, who cares? He also may have made the mistake that we made at the BMW, which is assuming there'd be no play on Monday, get really drunk all day Sunday. <laughs> and uh, we met up with a few caddies and had uh, several drinks watching NFL football Sunday. And kept it, oh, they're not playing any golf tomorrow. It's fine. Meanwhile, I woke up about 10 a.m. on Monday, and all the all the guys were on the course. I know there were some hungover caddies yeah. on the course on Monday. The bag probably felt a, a few extra pounds heavier. Uh, Poulter had a T10 at Bridgestone, but nothing in the top 30 in the four events since then. Uh, and like I said, Sergio's only made cut uh, in the U.S. since the Masters was at the Players and at the Wyndham. So I misspoke earlier. He has two made cuts in the U.S. since the Masters. Uh, U.S. captain's picks. Um, the two veterans are Tiger and Phil. So Tiger's coming off T6 at BMW, T24 at Dell, T40 at Northern Trust, solo second PGA, T31 Bridgestone, T6 open, T4 quickens, fifth in stroke gain on the year. The big lefty, Phil, is 25th in the world, 20th in the SAGs, 7-3-1 uh, in the last three cups, T58 at BMW, T12 at the Dell, T15 at Northern, miscut at the PGA. So not as bad a form as kind of people were making it out to be. He's not missing a ton of cuts. And, I mean, he would have missed at BMW if there was a cut. But anyways, Bryson, we know that story. Two FedEx Cup trophy, uh, FedEx Cup playoffs wins. Finau has top tens in all the FedEx Cup events. um, And that's, that's rounding out the U.S. team. All right, shall we get into the pods and pairings? Let's do it. This is speculation to say the best because as of the time of this recording the pods and i'm not even going to try on the european side to be honest i have not gotten close to that or i know you have some ideas for pairings 
Yeah, I don't have anything to, you know, that's mostly right. it's just going to be based off a little bit of history and a little bit of gut and a little bit of kind of who I think would, would mesh. But. but as of this evening, the pods are not set. Like, there's no set. Like, here we are. We're breaking up into these four. From what I gather, Bryson's kind of thrown a wrench in the pods. Um, I believe Tiger Reed, JT, and Spieth are or slash were set to be in a pod. I don't know if that is still going to be the case. They don't know if that's still going to be the case from what I gather. I do expect Kepka, Bubba, and Webb to be in a pod together. I would also expect, and this is, um, I don't think Kepka and DJ are going to play together. From what I've gathered, um, it's no def, they're obviously really good friends, but I don't think necessarily they felt their games matched up very well uh, during the 2016 Round of Cup in the one match they did play together. Um, and I think, did they play together at the President's Cup? I think they did play together they did, at the President's yeah. Cup. And I think, uh, I think it just, from what I gather, I can't share more information than that, but I would be surprised if those two played together. And I would expect that Kepka will play with Bubba and will play with Webb. And my anticipation would be play with Webb in foursomes and would play with Bubba in four ball. I kind of like those. I actually really like the Kepka Webb in foursomes. Um, yeah, that could be a formidable team, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would guess my total estimation is that Bryson gets thrown in in the fourth in that pod. Now, there's also obviously people are talking about Tiger and Bryson potentially playing together. I don't know if that means they cross over pods. I don't know if there's a five man pod and a three man one. I'm I'm unsure as to how that's going to play out. I think the pod system is just kind of loose to begin with. It's not zingers hardcore. Here's your four, and this is how we're doing it. Uh, that leaves Phil, Finau, DJ, and Ricky in the fourth pod. That's a good one, too. I think that kind of works out. You know what really helps? When you have 12 really good players. That's true. Uh, you know, Phil wasn't shy um, about how much he enjoyed playing with Tony Finau. Uh, that might be a good four-ball pairing. Some creativity around the greens mixed with, uh, you know, maybe the ability to uh, kind of bomb it out there a little bit for Tony. Can we go back to that uh, to that Kepka-Webb pairing? I mean... Can you imagine giving Webb Simpson like you know six wedges into these long par fours where otherwise he'd be hitting you know seven eight iron into? The, I mean this is this could be a really good because Webb is a very very good wedge player and I, I hadn't that one really hadn't even crossed my mind but I really like the idea mm-hmm. of that pairing I think that the, and putting Webb with Kepka uh, really the most dominant player of the year might actually give Webb a lot of confidence to think, you know, Hey, I'm going to go out there and play with probably the best player in the world or, you know, one of the two or three best players in the world. And that, you know, he can kind of match up and stack up with him. I think that that's a really good idea. And Brooks is totally agnostic to who he gets paired with. He's fine with whatever. Um, And I think that Bubba is probably maybe the hardest guy to match up with someone. Webb, and they kind of just paired the two of them together when they have been in Ryder Cups yeah. together as like a, a go-to pairing as kind of like we're not sure what else to do with you. Webb is is very different on the personality spectrum than Bubba is as far as, you know, blending out with the team and whatnot. Um, but I think Kepka honestly wouldn't mind playing with Bubba at all. Like it, I think those two would get along fine. And I think uh, that that's just that's what I would anticipate. I Do you think any American players will go all five matches? I'd be surprised if they did. I actually would be surprised too. I think it might depend. It, it it will depend on kind of what it looks like going into Saturday afternoon. You know, if if it really looks like there needs to be, uh, for example, a Brooks Kepka out there if he's playing really well, but the team is struggling or something like that, and you really need somebody you think is going to get you an extra point. But I think that we actually have the luxury of having everybody play. You know, three to four matches as a as an average, and and really have. 
uh, fresh legs, fresh arms, fresh shoulders, yeah. everything going in, into Sunday. Expect Tiger to play three total matches. I think it's going to be one Friday, one Saturday, and one Sunday from what I've heard, which is interesting because I think he's probably one of our best setup guys for foursomes, and that's really not a lot of golf if he if he only right. plays one session in each of those. But I've, I've heard that it's been said that he's like saying, I'm playing three total matches, I'm playing one per day. I think he's beat from this whole season. I think uh, – like he's lost, he can't keep weight on. His his physical strength is just not what it what he what it what he would like it to be. He just skipped right. a pro am at the BMW, and I think that's what we can expect um, from what I've gathered that he will play three matches. Would you think most likely they're probably going to be two afternoon matches as well? You might not want to send him out first thing in the morning, or do, maybe it doesn't matter. So much. I, I mean, he says his back's fine. Yeah, and we I'm have not to worried about the him. back. I'm not worried about the back. It's more an energy standpoint. I think he wants to go in. With like saying I'm going to crush these three matches. I think if you look at his workload in the previous Ryder Cups, has been so big. Right. His record has not been good. I think if you go in knowing and going back to this kind of when I first heard that, I was like, ah, no way. Like he, you can't sit him for two whole sessions. Going back to what Phil said in the 2012 Ryder, uh, Ryder Cup when he and Keegan were just beating the doors off somebody that Saturday morning, about to go to three and zero. And he goes to Davis Love and is like, no, we are not going out this afternoon. We are putting everything we have into this match. And like that's what we're going to be spent at the end of this match. And maybe that's just Tiger's mindset. Like, I don't want to carry this much of the load. I'm going to do my job in this in this role. We have so many other talented guys that this is what this is how we're doing it. This is going to sound maybe cheesy and, and it's intangible, but it might mean a lot to some of the other teams to see Tiger out there cheering them on and getting in their ears a little bit, uh, whether it's going good or or bad, you know, if it's going really well and you have Tiger fucking Woods like slapping you <laughs> on the butt, being like, "You're gonna kill these guys," you're gonna be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna fucking kill them." And 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 on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, having Tiger Woods come up and say, "Hey, we, you know, we're really relying on you. We need on you. Like, you're not gonna let Tiger Woods down." Yeah. Um. And so it's hard to quant. It's impossible to quantify that, but maybe that is kind of you know, cheerleader is kind of what Tiger is starting to transition into. I mean, obviously his personality has change for the the better as far as getting along with the other guys on, on the team. So maybe that's part of the thought process. I remember Sunday singles last year watching Reed walk with Tiger on the fifth hole. The fifth hole was the one at Eagle, and then he yep. birdied the next three. Again, that, not to say Tiger has magical healing powers, but I remember watching that and thinking, man, Reed is – he was voted like the second most likely guy you wouldn't back up in a fight or whatever right behind Bubba. Hugely unpopular guy on tour and amongst fans – and just everyone screaming his name, cheering, walking next to Tiger Woods. And I just thought, like, how empowering must that be? And imagine if he was in that environment every week of getting, like, true support, how well he could play. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that absolutely could have effect. We're gonna, so we are also going to be doing a big Ryder Cup pool. The details on this are going to be released at a later date. Uh, but I can tell you one of the questions in the pool is, will Tiger be shown on TV wearing an earpiece? God, I hope so. <laughs> it has I, to happen. It has to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so look for those more details later. Mizzen and Maine is going to be kind of sponsoring the uh, sponsoring the pool, and we're going to have a bunch of prizes with that, but uh, more on that at a later date. Tiger with the wraparound shades, back hat, backwards hat, earpiece. I'm all in. I need it. <laughs> um, okay, I'm ready to say this. Foursomes versus four ball. What is, what is your take kind of on how... Who fits into what category? What what kind of guys you want in each format? And how I feel like that conversation is has kind of shifted towards an extreme. I want to get your take on it first. My take is not it's it's not a hot take in any sense. It's basically 
you know, foursomes, you want impeccable ball striking. Four ball, you want the explosiveness. I mean, that's re- and and both formats ultimately come down to who's going to make the most putts. But when you have a partner in foursomes that's putting you below the hole and giving you opportun- opportunities to be aggressive and run them three, four feet by instead of trying to be defensive and and you know, uh, I think that you know really you always want to focus on. Who are your best ball strikers for four ball? How can we put guys together where we can either, if we have to put someone out there that's kind of a loose driver of the golf ball, there's way more strategy in four ball because the way you have to shake it out with who starts on what tee. Foursomes, you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Foursomes. Yeah. Yeah, With foursomes, you have to be strategic because if no matter who holes out on the first hole, the guy who teed off on on the first hole is now going to play from you alternate who tees off every day who tees off so there's for me foursomes is an infinitely more interesting format because of the of the strategy aspect because of the potential for catastrophic disaster if you have somebody that hits it off the planet um and four ball is the the more exciting format because guys are going to go out there and bomb it and try to make birdies and it's always you know kind of historically been the u.s's forte uh inventors of the bomb and gouge Hmm. so i had the kind of a similar viewpoint on it until i went last year and and it's probably short-sighted because the u.s went out and won the first four foursomes matches which we never do we always just bomb out in in alternate shot this and again, I haven't fully versed this take, but I'm going to try. You can hide guys better in foursomes than you can four ball. Four ball, if you're not on, like you are just a drag to your part. You put that much more pressure on your partner. Foursomes, it's all about just not screwing up. Like don't be god awful. These guys are their baseline for somewhat average shots is so high that if you go out and hit a bunch of like average to okay shots, you'll be fine and be competitive in foursomes, and you're only hitting half the shots. In four ball, it's like you start pressing when, you start, when you're not making birdies. and yeah, Very similar comparison here. When I play in pro-ams, and it's like <laughs> when par is your friend and you're pressing to make birdies, it's so hard to make birdies. Right. It, it really is. And um, So I definitely know exactly how those guys feel. Um, <laughs> No, but when you when yeah you six holes go by and you don't have a birdie, it's like all right now I got to really make it up for it, and then you just keep pressing. I think that's kind of what happens with speed and four ball with playing with Reed, and so I, I actually think that your game has to just be so on for four balls that it and you don't have to be as on for foursomes. You just have to be not as bad. Does that make sense? It makes sense. The only place where I would maybe differ is that because you. Uh, in an alternate shot are only playing half the shots and because you have your partner is maybe even relying on you a little bit more in an instance where like for example if you know Brooks Kepka goes out there and hits one 350 down the middle and Webb's got a wedge in and he hits it 10 feet above the hole when he should have been four feet below the hole well now Webb is feeling like I didn't do my partner justice I didn't reward his good shot I didn't give him a chance to make a makeable birdie putt and maybe you put a little bit more pressure on yourself that way but I, I actually really appreciate the perspective that you just gave because uh, it it does make sense that you feel the pressure to go out there and try to make a bunch of birdies in four ball. And when you're not making them, it, it kind of builds. So. Pros are used to every shot really mattering in that, you know, in four ball, every shot doesn't matter. So your mindset just automatically kind of changes. And there's a lot of that thinking. I mean, how often in a, like a scramble are you hitting a putt where you're like, Oh, I can't leave it short. Like there's no, the comebacker doesn't mean anything and you don't hit anything close to a good putt. Like, Pros are used to positioning themselves for the next shot. And if it's a 20-foot putt, you don't leave your partner a three-foot comebacker. Like, you just 
it's not saying you lag it, but like you're just playing with that kind of still mindset. And four ball, everything changes, and you got to have the ability to pin your ears back and make a ton of birdies. And yeah, it's different style of play that I think it does kind of affect some guys. Here's a thought that I had in, in kind of going into this a little bit more. What are your thoughts on pairing complementary putters together? We always talk a lot about you want want to pair a bomber with a good wedge player, but what about a guy like DJ who really likes to die the ball in the hole versus a guy like Ricky who runs everything three or four feet past and he's not afraid of the comebacker. He's a much more aggressive putter. Do you think that there's any weight given to kind of the, the style that guys putt? A hundred percent without a doubt. I mean, and we haven't even talked about the difference in golf ball and how, how much that matters to these guys. It really does. I mean, that's not like a, and some, you know, I, I shouldn't lump all guys into that. Some guys would be like, Oh no, I just need like one practice round with this ball and I'm fine. Some guys are like, no, like his, he hits a really spinny ball and I hit blah, blah, blah. I can't switch on, on that blah, blah and whatever. Uh, but you're exactly right. I, I think that there are um, some guys are very much not afraid of a five foot comebacker. And some guys play in a very different style. And I, I don't know, you got to have the ability to, one, never, like, never say sorry. Like, don't apologize to your teammate for get, putting him in a bad spot. And never, I, I don't know how do you dial this up, but, like, never want to blame your teammate for it. Like, obviously, they're trying to do something. And, like, you just got to be able to get past it and accept a mistake as if it was your own. I, I've literally never played this format before. So, I, it's really hard to relate to. But just, it, that's... It seems like a really hard format to play, but at the same time, it's like if you wanted to hide a guy, you'd do it where they only have to hit half the shots is what my theory would be. I think that's a fair take. All right, let's get into questions. Um, as much as we are rivals for this upcoming week, Mr. Jamie Kennedy from the European Tour had a very good one. He said, pick the cumulative best 12-man team. I don't understand this part. He said, go via world ranking and see how many players from each side make it in asking for a friend. I think he's trying to show that the Europeans have better world ranking, but we covered that at the beginning. They don't. Anyways, you're picking your 12 players out of the 24 for a team. Who are you taking? So from from the American team, I'm going to take Kepka, Reed, DJ, Tiger, JT, Spieth, and Phil. And from the European team, I'm going to take Rory, Fleetwood, Molinari, Norin, and Rose. All right. So you had seven Americans, five euros. Seven Americans, five euros. That's the safe zone, I think. I went into the into the danger zone. I, I went DJ, JT, Rory, Rose, Tiger, Kepka, Reed, Spieth, Ricky, Bryson, Rom, Fleetwood. Eight Americans, four euros. So you had Molinari and Norin in there. I didn't have them. And did you have Fleetwood in there? I did have Fleetwood. Did you have Rom in there? I did not have Rom. Interesting. So I feel like uh, if I'm going to kind of try to structure a team, I don't need a lot of ROM when I already have Kepka and DJ, you know, bombers. Um, I would prefer to have Molinari and Norin and Fleetwood basically because they are just going to ball strike it out of the park. They're never going to be out of a hole. You can put them out and basically with any sort of any other players. I mean, you, they're, they're guys you could pair with anybody. Um, they're going to make a lot of putts. And uh, th- so I, I would go with, you know, the really consistent ball strikers, uh, especially on this golf course. I'll admit I didn't give this one a ton of thought. Uh, just the 12 names that popped out to me. It was it got a lot harder near the end here because I mean, even For like sure. leaving Spieth in there at right now was just kind of like a, ooh, I mean, I, I realized the, the consequences of this totally hypothetical question, but I was kind of like, ah, I don't know if Spieth is the guy in there and whatnot. Uh, Mike Dupree has a very good one. If you were in charge, what would you, one, start, two, stop, 
and three, keep doing with the Ryder Cup? I think uh, start, I would probably throw in a different format of some kind. Um, I don't know if, you know, maybe like a shamble would be fun where you have both guys hitting uh, off the tee and then picking the, the best ball and playing from there. I mean, that's kind of like a country club, you know, <laughs> stupid thing, but it would be, it would definitely be interesting. Uh, it would, it would give you guys, it would give you some interesting pairings. Um, stop. I don't know what I would necessarily stop. Probably the, the stupid horseshoe rule pick hmm. thing. I think that that's just kind of dumb. And I also don't like the fact that the, the players uh, from Europe and the United States are picked on like two different days and kind of different weeks and stuff. I would rather just kind of have everything kind of be all together. Um, keep doing. Uh, uh, that's a good one. Maybe I would keep, uh, I probably for the, for the European team, I think I would keep, I don't know. Well, I'll do mine. And if something, yeah. something good for keeper comes to you um, for the start, very unpopular take play the Ryder cup every damn year. It's okay. the best. The only reason we don't play it every year is because we don't play it every year. The president's just, cup. I mean, ah, get out of my face. <laughs> um, if they pl- imagine, imagine if somebody was just like, if the masters just was set up for every other year and we we're like, Oh, you, you can't change that. Like it's always been that way. That's essentially what it is with the Ryder cup. I don't want to hear too, like, you know, the buildup in between is what makes it big. No, like this is the biggest event in golf and it would be every single year. It'd be the one thing people will in golf. Like one thing you look forward to at the end of every year. Are you serious? Like you just don't want a Ryder cup next year. Like it doesn't soften it in any way. In my mind, I think it would be, it would take this thing truly to the next level. And of like a truly paying attention, people, the casual fans paying attention to what is going on in golf. Cause you want to see the Ryder cup at the end of every year that would play it every damn year. Play the President's Cup if you want, like in January or something. I don't, I don't, whatever. I don't, that's fine. Play the President's Cup in Australia every year. Just in January. There send only 25 and under guys from the U.S. side to the President's Cup and make it interesting. All right. They should stop their way of drawing the pairings and they should do it President's Cup style. Thank you for the, the one thing that you've given us, President's Cup, is I would love to see the captains every night lining up against each other saying, here, yeah, I'm throwing out. Rory, okay, cool. I'll throw out JT. And just actually matching up people that way would be fantastic. Uh, keep doing, I say keep setting up the first tee to be an absolute insanity. Like there's like 7,500 seats or something this year. Um, that's It was so cool. I remember I went in 2012 in Chicago. It was just absolute madness. And then Hazeltine up the ante even more. And it sounds like in France they're going to try to simulate that as best they can. So those are my three. I don't know that I necessarily have thought of like a keep going, but I would like to change my start. And that would be, I would like them to start having one amateur player from each team because then we would have got Hovland uh, (laughs) and it would have been amazing. But I I, I think that there, I think that that would be kind of a cool way to do it. Like pick, you know, one captain's pick that's maybe even expand the team to to 13 players or something and have one captain's pick from each team or one automatic qualifier from each team be uh, the highest ranking U.S. amateur and the highest ranking European. I'll give you that if we play every year. All right. That'd be fine. Okay, cool. Good trade. Um, John Caulfield says some players on both sides show some dodgy form recently. If you had to sit three players from each side to leave out until singles, which three would you sit? That's a really good question. It is a pretty good question. I would, but I would probably sit Sergio, well, Sergio Garcia, Mm -hmm. probably Paul Casey. Interesting. And, 
probably Stenson. I mean, based kind of on current form, like those are probably the three guys that I would, if I had to set them all, those, I think that you'll probably get cumulatively the least production from those three guys. Hmm. I, there's kind of a couple of schools of thought here. Uh, again, for this hypothetical, that is not a real question. Um, you don't want to do the Mark James 1999, sit three guys until singles and then just have them get wiped off the planet. It's first thing Sunday singles. However, if you're asking me to not play three guys the first two days for Europe, it would be Olison, Sergio, and Hatton would be my three picks. We don't think we've mentioned Terrell Hatton. You don't like the guy? I would put him out there just purely no, for fine. entertainment oh, purposes. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, listen, he's fine. I just think it's funny we haven't even mentioned him yet. Uh, on the U.S. side, the I'm, forgotten man. I'm sitting Bubba, Phil, and Spieth. Ooh, I know that was uh, it. Was like, Spieth was also in my top twelve yeah. for the record. Yeah, but gonna... like, all right, if I if I I'm just assuming this is like, all right, I got to ride my hot hands here. Uh, yeah. Then on those are the three guys I'm probably sitting. Yeah, that's that's fair. Actually, who are your U.S. guys? I would probably sit for the U.S. Bubba. Probably Bubba, Phil, and yeah, I'm probably Speed. <laughs> See, it's, yeah, it's it was, harder to do on the U.S. side than you'd think. You know, maybe, maybe Bubba, Phil, and Webb Simpson, but that's almost not fair to Webb Simpson because he's playing probably better golf right now than Jordan Spieth is. Yeah. So uh, it was a lot harder question on the Europe, on the U.S. side. Yeah, and he was also in my top twelve, by yeah. the way. So <laughs> what the fuck do I know? I hope that's a sign of things to come. Uh, Bunky Perkins, who makes public comments about the fans in France first, Reed or the field? Oh, I'm taking the field. It's going to be Bubba. Bubba has not <laughs> learned his lesson. Bubba is going to get there and be like, "Man, this food, it stinks." Man, I don't know. I think he. I hope he ups the ante. That he's got to steer into it. For those that don't remember, in like 2011 or something, he played the French Open and said, uh, "I just want to go home." I saw yeah. the tower tower thing and whatnot. I'm just ready to go home and hated because fans were just walking everywhere and. Uh, it's yeah, just, wonder it's a it's a real wonder why he doesn't play great on uh, on Ryder Cups on opposing soil. One and six career record. Oh yeah. yeah, not great. Not great. Do you want to go into some of your questions here? Or do you want to alternate? How we want to do this? Yeah, sure. Uh, let me see if I can. I got I got, I got one more here as you, right. as you grab those. Maddie D, be good. Uh, should Duval and his pod all gear up with Oakley wraparounds? I mean, yeah, if you want to win by a billion. Yeah, there yes, is. A, but, yes, of course. Uh, awesome that uh, David Duvall is an assistant captain, by the way. Yeah, that is really cool. Uh, so one of the ones from uh, Damian Banks, and this is a this version of this question got asked a lot, which was, how big of an upset will it be historically if the U.S. loses? Not anywhere in history. Not a historic <laughs> upset at all. I mean, they're, they're barely favored. I mean, they're more favored now, I guess, on the betting line than they were uh, about a month ago. But still, 25 years. It has been 25 years since we've won yeah. on European soil. And that frankly, means something. it means something. And this European team is really good. They're young, but they're – and all the stats that we've talked about, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, there's still it's, – it's a formidable European side and not one that the U.S. can take lightly at all. I have a, This wasn't one of the questions. I just thought of this one. Um, it's a bit extreme. I think it's kind of – it's easy to answer. What do you think the U.S. is – the chances are that they'll win this Ryder Cup or the chances that they'll win the next two after this one. What's a better opportunity for them? I think odds are, I would if, if, if the choice is like, all right, you have to bet on one of these. The U.S. wins this one or they win 20 and 22. I'd probably take 20 and 22. I think so too. I think like after this year, it's 
uh, like Shipnuck's column about the whole yeah. like thing is not over. Like it, all these things go through swings, but you look at how the teams start lining up and how Europeans, the Europeans best players are maybe a little bit already past their prime. Well, this transitions perfectly into another question. If you want to yeah. roll into that. So this one was one of the ones from the refuge hashtag get involved uh, from the deep fried egg. He says in, in 2020 Rose will be 40 Casey, 43 Sergio, 40 Poulter, 44 Stenson, 44. <laughs> These guys in Lee West would have been the face of Euro golf for the past 10 plus years. Um, in other words, the European team is going to look very different over the next few years. Other than Rory, who are the next mainstays? Is it Lucas Beauregard, Alexander Bjork, you know, on yeah, and on. He answers his own question there. He kind of answers his own question, but in, However, in in fairness, there are the guys that we've talked about that were left off the team. Peters is a young guy. Fitzpatrick has got some experience and won last week. Uh, Matt Wallace won three times and maybe shouldn't have been on this team, but it's not like he's going to be trash going forward. Um, so there's, there is a stable of young guys. Are they the stable? Are they the same quality as the stable of young American players? I think the question, uh, the answer to that is, absolutely not at least not at this at this point but i think it's also unfair to say that there's not at least some european players waiting in the wings that have shown that they can compete on the international stage and that might have a chance the problem is is they're going to be going up against just absolute stallions one thing i think i've i've tried i meant to make a better bigger point of earlier in the podcast is how much of the Ryder cup comes down to your studs your top top studs like Justin Rose being the best player in the world, and I do think he is the best player in the world, not just ranked number one. He's he's earned that. Scares the shit out of me still. Like, really does. And I think if I'm going to pin the, the Ryder Cup outcome on one guy, it's Justin Rose. I think if you're if he goes two and two, I don't think Europe wins. No. But like, I, I picture him going like 4-0 and 1. And, like, it's a very real possibility, I think. And it's so much rides on those top guys. And that's what they didn't get in 2016 is, like, the the Rose-Stenson. I, I, I'm going off memory here. I could be wrong on this. But Rose and Stenson carried the torch in 14. And Sergio, too, just absolutely mm-hmm. lit us up. And in 16, that did not happen. And once that happens, like, you, you fall off very quickly from that, from that European side. So right. if their top, top guys don't show up, I think it's over very quickly. Whereas... You know, if DJ goes two and two, or Kepka goes two and two, I don't think it's the end uh, end of the end of the road for us. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, are the Landon at Leeton Pander says are these the two most complete and competitive teams in Ryder Cup history? We can't speak to Ryder Cup history close enough. Uh, I mean, anything prior to Europe becoming Europe and right. not Great Britain and Ireland would have to be eliminated here because those Great Britain and Ireland teams right. could not compete with the U.S. Uh, in my lifetime, I can't remember a more complete. I don't know if if, if we're excluding 06, then I think this is probably <laughs> this is probably the two most complete teams. I mean, it's not 2012 was really good. 2012 was excellent. Um, a lot of guys still, a lot of European guys still in their primes. Um, you know, Mark. That was when Martin Keimer was playing really well, and Luke Donald was still playing really well. But yeah, it's hard for me to think about since I've been a fan of the game. Uh, really a better kind of shaping up for it to be a better uh, competition than what we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And it just, Europe doesn't come in as hot as they could be or is, is in as strong a form and they didn't round out their team as, you know, in a really strong way to make me say that definitively. I think like, it was pretty easy when we came up with the list of three guys, we would sit on the European side and it That's wasn't true. that easy to, to come up with that on the U S side. 
But if this ends up being a really close Ryder Cup, if it, uh, yeah. one team wins by you know one or two points, it, that means that the European guys that were captains' picks that were kind of ragging on ended up playing really well. Yeah. And if you go back, you know, twenty years from now, and we look at the you know the twenty eighteen Ryder Cup, we look at those rosters historically, putting in context what. Stenson and Sergio and Poulter's careers have meant we're going to say, holy shit, that was a really stacked yeah. European team, especially if it turns out that Fleetwood and Rom and some of these other guys pan out and have the careers that we think we're going to have. You know, 20 years from now, we could look at back at this one and be like, yeah, this was an all-timer, mm-hmm. especially if it's close. Um, Matt Garnett at GarnNB questions. Are the Europeans going to win by double digits or simply high single digits? Right-click save yeah we're gonna come back to that one is all i'm saying uh andrew lombardi good question here what do we expect from french fans do they actually care about the euro team they have no french players we talked about this a little bit the last go around feedback's been pretty consistent i don't think it's i mean i'd say this Ryder cups are always rowdy it's not going to rank in the top 20 percent of rowdy Ryder cups i don't think i don't think so either but i will uh, I'll go to bat for the European fans generally in that uh, because it's France and it's just a short ride across the English Channel, there's going to be a lot of British people there and and they'll be loud and there will be a, a very strong supporting contingent for the European side. But yeah, as far as it probably is not going to hold a candle to Hazeltine. Sensitive topic and uh, I don't want to dig into the details of this because um, we just, I mean, players' personal lives are just really not our business and pe- we don't really comment on any of this and or dig into into the details of this. However, with in light of DJ's recent, we have no idea what it is, but something is going on currently with his uh, personal relationship with Paulina Gretzky. Do we think that that is any material for fan potential harassment at the Ryder Cup? Probably, yes. For In fairness, Hope. our team deserves it for what the European team had to go through in 16. Yep, that's probably true. Um, at the I, same time, I don't think European fans quite would take it to that level. I if, wouldn't be surprised, though. I wouldn't be surprised, but honestly, if there's anybody that can tune it out, it's DJ. <laughs> yeah, oh, without uh, I, a doubt. I, I, And that's not to say that whatever is going on in his personal life, however he internalizes it, it's probably affecting him. It's none of our business, but he, um, among all of the guys on the Ryder Cup team, I mean, you'd much rather have him be on the recipient of the heckling than, for example, Bubba or Reed or somebody else. And again, let me note that uh, American fans taunted Rory for him breaking up with a girl three years prior at the 2016 Ryder Cup. So we're not above this in any way. I was just curious with the timing of this. It seems like it could be ripe for uh, for a bit of a bit of banter. Whether or not that's appropriate or not, we can. Uh, that's not for us to decide. D Clay one twenty five said, uh, "Why did Justin Thomas say he and Ricky's ball is so much different? They both play Titleist, right? Uh, who's going to play Bridgestone with the big cat? Uh, JT and Ricky play a different year of Titleist ball. I think it spins a little different, and it's enough of a difference that it." it somewhat matters to them. I'm not saying they won't play together, but I know that they don't play the same golf ball. And the brand is one thing. It's, it's, I mean, you could have a guy, one guy play Titleist, one guy play Callaway and their balls are closer together than two different Titleist balls or two different Callaway balls or anything in that regard. So yeah, it's like you said earlier. I mean, if, Furyk's going to give these guys enough time to figure out yeah. how to play with the other guy's ball. I mean, it's all they all have track mans. It's all a matter of just getting on there and figuring out how, okay, this ball spins on average, you know, 400 RPM more. So I need to add, mm-hmm. you know, two yards or whatever the case may be. It's not, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal. It's not, it's not going to be as big of a deal as it was made out to be back when, you know, Tiger and Phil were that whole situation and they, with Hal Sutton playing different balls. I mean, the technology was a lot different then than it is now. And frankly, I just don't think it really matters. 
years. I think that was more of an excuse. Yeah. Um, and he also said, who's Tiger going to play Bridgestone balls with? Well, Bryson plays a Bridgestone ball. That being said, I don't know how close the two golf balls are they play. I know Tiger plays by his by his claim. Of course, he knows what everybody plays. He claims he plays the highest spin ball on tour. Um, so I don't know if that matches up well. But with Tiger, Side note, with Tiger playing the highest spin ball on tour and having the weakest lofts on tour, the fact that he hits nine irons 170-plus yards is inhuman without even swinging dude we want so tron and i were on the range compresses the golf we're just standing there we're standing near an open spot on the range not doing anything in walks the cat like right in front of us like it'd be it'd be one thing if like we just did he have an aura around him? oh okay yes (laughs) it'd be one thing if like we ran up to him hitting balls uh if we saw him there and beat all the cameras there what we were just standing there. the cameras had to like go around us we're like we're not moving i think we're standing right here we're media look at the credentials this is a uh a saturday uh i think it was saturday let me think yeah saturday and uh, it was it just been dumping rain. Like, it was so wet on this course, and he just proceeds to just nip wedges, barely taking divots for, like, 20 minutes. I mean, his divot pattern was just, like, sweeping the grass off the top. It didn't even get any roots out of the ground. It was orgasmic. Um, and his divot pattern per- formed a perfect heart. It was. It yeah, was. That felt like he like it was a love. nod to us. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mark Wittig says, when will this event in Europe go to a good course? From what this, I've gathered, this is a good course. Yeah, if you're waiting for a good course in Europe, this is as close as you're probably yeah. going to get for a while. I, I can't remember off the top of my head where the next few of them are, but uh, I would, I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised to see Le Golf National. It's going to show really well on TV. Um, it's kind of more of an American style, kind of windswept looking golf course. Um, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good course. I think it's going to be a good test. And, uh, what JT said, uh, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, said he hit seven drivers and during the French open this year, it's not necessarily a bomber and gouge course. Things might change a bit with four ball. We talked a bit about that, but, um, but tiger and Kepka just hitting <laughs> raging stingers. Oh, but to this point and back to kind of, we were talking about with Finau earlier, I, I get, I get, I get that it's not a, First of all, I think the, the term bomber's paradise, people can lose perspective on what that means. BMW, Aronimic this past week was a bomber's paradise because a lot of where the bunkers sat, the longest hitters could pound driver and eliminate the risk of hitting it into any trouble. And like we, you know, we walked a few holes with Kevin Kisner and with Webb Simpson. I think we talked about this with Gil too, but uh, just, the bunkers are right where they hit it. And that's a problem for them. This kind of course doesn't set up like that. So it's not a bomber's paradise. Now, Again, I'm reciting what I said at the Gill podcast last week, but Mark Brody was on the podcast and said the biggest misnomer about the longest drivers is that they're long and wild. It's not they are they are long and accurate. The best drivers are still going to have a good benefit on a course that doesn't require a lot of bombing. Like Finau being able to hit two iron when you know somebody Olsen right. maybe has hit three wood like is a benefit. It's not a it's not a hindrance to keeping you from playing well. Maybe it eliminates some of the advantage, but like. Tony can, has shown he can play well in any kind right. of golf course. Yeah, Tony's like 50th in driving accuracy, but he's like 7th in strokes gained approach. So it doesn't matter. Driving accuracy means it, absolutely nothing. It means nothing. nothing. And, and to, exactly to your point. To clarify that, the stat, like the percentage stat means absolutely nothing. It correct. really does not. And, and Driving it accurate is important. Right. Going, but going to your point is 
when I think about Brooks Kepka at Bell Reeve, I mean, the dude pounded the ball, but he was always in the fairway too. It's not like Brooks Kepka is a wild driver of the golf ball. He's one of the longest, and I don't know if the statistics met this yeah. out, but it feels like he's always playing from a good position. He's always in the fairway. He's finding the right sides of the fairway. I mean, he and DJ learning how to hit that controlled cut, um, and now Tiger with the new shaft that he's put in the driver, hitting that little you know, five to seven yard fade. Like those guys can put it in a freaking bucket from three thirty, and it's such it's such a weapon. Uh, Patrick Flynn asks, "What's French for Hazel adjacent?" I looked this up. I don't know if this is right, but Google Translate says Hazel adjacent. We should ask uh, Will Bardwell, or as he's now known, the uh, French Patrick Reed. Hilarious <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, Here's another good Twitter question. Uh, Ethan Zimmons says, will there be a quote-unquote surprise hero for either side? I know it's tough with so much firepower on the squads, but if so, who will it be? Um, I have kind of a couple ideas, but I'm interested to get your take on this. I mean, the surprise hero would probably be Finau, I think. I mean, that would 12th man in, and I think he's going to probably play like he has nothing to lose. I, I agree and on Finau, and I was texting with my brother a little bit uh, today, and shout out Jordan Fickett, and he was he said, I think Finau is going to leave with a better Ryder Cup record in his first Ryder Cup than Justin Thomas. And I said, well, what are you basing that on? And he said exactly what you just said, Solly, which is that he's got nothing to lose. JT's going to feel some pressure. Uh, he's you know He wasn't at the 2016 Ryder Cup, so he probably feels like he has a little bit of something to prove, whereas I don't think Finau does. I think Finau's going to go out there and play his game and probably make a bunch of birdies, and maybe he only plays three matches. Matches, you know, two, four balls and a singles, but there's a real chance he could go three oh and oh, and we're all gonna be like, Holy shit, Tony Finau, awesome. Got another guy. So I, I really I like that take. I think that's good. Uh Euro side, I'm just gonna cover my bases here and just say Norin. Yeah, that's actually that's exactly who I was he's gonna low key he and Molinari, I think, are like and I talked about this in the last pod, and I'm gonna talk about it in the article that I've got coming out hopefully at the end of this week. Um there's just such formidable ball strikers. Uh, I would be shocked if they didn't pair in both foursomes uh, sessions and probably win uh, both sessions. And I think, you know, if you get two points, you know, and depending on who he pairs with in the single or who he match up against in the singles, uh, very real chance that Norn could get three or four points. What uh, Matt Edelson says, how do we expect Le Golf National to play? Looking forward to seeing how close pins are cut to water down the stretch. I am going to go out and count how many middle pins there are, and I'm going to relay that stat to Justin Rose yeah. just in case. Uh, I do think it will be set up a bit tougher for as much trash as the Euros talked about the setup in 16 and made a very big deal out of it. I don't. I it, a lot of it might depend on the weather. Like if it's really windy, they're going to be a little bit more conservative, uh, and this is a course in which the wind can blow. Um, so yeah, it might just really kind of be there. They probably have picked out, you know, four or five pin positions per green that they're looking at. And based on kind of how it's going, they can be more conservative or more aggressive, uh, along with whatever the weather forecast is. I mean, if it's, if they get a bunch of rain and it's soft, then yeah, they're going to tuck the pins. Match play sets up for half par holes. Like it's not going to be interesting to have a bunch of like holes that everyone's going to make four on, like either make it a par four and a half or par three and a half. They're going to set that up so that there's some variance in these matches. So that's why some holes are set up easier. Some holes are set up harder. That's just the way that these things go. It's not a stroke play event. It's it. I just didn't, I get kind of what Rose was getting at with those comments. 
I just don't think it's it's not a stroke play event. It's different. Did we ever get any confirmation as to whether they're going to flip 15 and 18? I think that they... It's not. I went on the RyderCup.com site, and it's not flipped on the site, which so is not very good descriptions of the oh, holes, by yeah. the way. There's typos and stuff in it. Oh, but. no. Yeah. Well, so for you guys that may not have caught up on the last one, we were talking about the fact that 15 and 18 are the two uh, kind of parallel holes they share i believe they share a green but they kind of are parallel separate greens they share the water they share the water hazard in the middle so there was a question because 15 is kind of a little bit of a better hole um that they might flip those to to ensure that 15 is basically always gets played as opposed to uh, it being the 18th hole and not getting played but um but so that's what we were trying to figure out but uh, it'll be interesting to see how they set it up i don't as of now it does not appear that they are shifting i'm sure they will we would have probably heard of that by now if that is the case but um, I only have one more left. Stephen O'Dell, are you at all concerned about Speed's play heading into the Ryder Cup? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, there's reason to be concerned there. Um, mostly with his demeanor, it was really concerning. I mean, I, I was walking with him for a couple holes and at the BMW, and he missed the third fairway, and he's just going to Growler. He's like, this fairway's 70 yards wide. He's just like roasting himself. Like, how, how do I miss this fairway? And uh, he did not seem to be in a good place. I'm actually glad he didn't make the tour championship. Take the time off. Yeah. Go home. Figure some stuff out. Whatnot. It's not the end of the world kind of golf, but it's not trending in the right direction. Having said that, he didn't play great in 2016 either, and he was trending pretty well into that, if I remember right. So. Right. Um, It'll be interesting. Uh, I hope for all of the mic'd up uh, antics sake that we get a, a Hatton Spieth uh, oh matchup. It's like the self loathing will be off the charts. It'll be so entertaining, and oh, they might get... not say a word. They might they might not say a word to each other the entire match, and yet still never stop talking. And it'll be amazing. <laughs> Hatton and Rom versus like Spieth and Reed would probably that would be that'd be incredible. <sighs> God, we didn't get too much. We got a lot of questions for like make your dream pairing. It's pretty easy to kind of line up the best singles matches you'd want to see and all that. We didn't really get a chance to get into that. Do you have any more questions jotted down? Um, I think that, you know, that was a pretty good, a lot of them were kind of the ones we already talked about. I mean, so much of the singles, the Sunday singles is going to go into how are the matches shaking out. I mean, if the U.S. is way up, well, then obviously the Euros are going to front load all their best players and try to get points on the board. And we just, we won't know until the end. I mean, I think um, everyone just has to front load no matter what, right? I mean, you just, too many captains have gotten roasted for putting their their worst guys last, I guess. But I, I don't, or worst guys out first. But I, I don't, I don't put as much into that as as what people seem to. I know there's this idea of momentum and seeing red flags up on the board means there's going to be more red flags going on the board. I don't know if anything backs that up, but will it remains to be seen. I've got one more question. That I think is really good. Hit me. So if things go south for the European team, which of the 12 players is most likely to go full Mickelson on the podium and oh. roast Bjorn? <laughs> um, I like that. That was from Antifaldo, which is a great uh, name, by the way. Rory. Really? Yeah, sure. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's Rom. I think it's 100% Rom. I well, think Rom he- doesn't have the experience or gravitas to be able to kind of say, in his first Ryder Cup, going to sit there and roast the captain. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I mean, I don't I, know if he has the filter listen, for it either. Rory and Bjorn get along great for every for all I know, but I I, I don't know. I don't think yeah. there's like a guy that sticks out. The Europeans aren't really yeah they're not like that. But right. I think if there, if something things go really wrong, I think I could see I don't know I could see Rory kind of saying like yeah we may want to look into. Thomas Peters, my partner from last time, that didn't <laughs> yeah, get picked this that's time. That's actually a really good So, yeah, really never good know. Yep. So, 
All right, Job, let's wrap it at that. Whoa, we got one last thing. Did I give it the official predictions? The official pick, your official Ryder Cup pick and score. Let's hear it. I think you're going to take mine, I have a feeling. Well, I'm going to adjust it upwards slightly so that I don't take yours, but I think it's USA by a score of 16 to 12. Okay. I, in 2016, I said USA 16 and a half, 11 and a half. They won 17, 11. This year, I am going to say 15 and a half, 12 and a half, 12 and a half United States wins. I don't, and if the Europeans win, I, I'm not going to be like stunned, shocked, like inconsolable. I'll be inconsolable, but like, I, I just want to make it clear. I'm not just shouting from the rooftop that the U S is going to blow the Europeans out. I think we went, we should win. It will be a disappointment if we lose. Sure. It's going to be close. It should be close. I think, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be very close. I have everything on, on my notes. I had everything from a, an 18, uh, point, uh, turnaround for the United States all the way down to them losing 16, 12. So it could be anything, but I, I really think that it's finally the U S year to, uh, to get rid of the bad juju uh, once and for all. And then maybe, It'll start rolling. I'm going to take the American flag to the top of the Eiffel Tower and fly it from there on Monday after the Ryder Cup. So, <laughs> all right, Job, thanks for coming by, man. This is fun as always. We'll look Enjoyed forward to seeing it. your article here uh, coming up. And uh, we may have to do a recap one of these as well since we I had so much it. fun with these. So, yep. Thanks, Ollie. Cheers. Right. Crack on. Cheers. Let's get it right club. Be the right club today. That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different.